Welcome to Episode 2 of From the Hack. I'm your host, Frank Rock. This week we talk with Al Cameron of Curling Canada about mixed doubles being added to the Olympic program. We chat with 2006 Olympic gold medalist Jamie Korab about the recent Grand Slam in Paradise, Newfoundland and about the 2017 Briar being awarded to St. John's. Last but certainly not least, we discuss the 2015-2016 Women's Tour with 2010 Olympic silver medalist and TSN curling commentator Cheryl Bernard. With the recent announcement that mixed doubles would be a medal sport at the 2018 Winter Olympics in South Korea, I caught up with Al Cameron, the Director of Communications and Media Relations at Curling Canada, who shared with me that adding mixed doubles to the Olympics has been in the works for several years and that Canada has played a leading role. Mixed doubles curling has actually been around for quite some time, but rarely on this side of the Atlantic Ocean. It's definitely a discipline that's been played uh, in Europe, particularly in Scotland, but not necessarily in the format that we know now. Um, the format we know now it can uh, trace its roots to the Continental Cup. Yeah, it was introduced at the 2002 Continental Cup in, in Regina uh, and actually was tested out before that. The concept was uh, kind of uh, thought out by Warren Hansen and Neil Houston and initially tested in Calgary. Uh, they brought some club curlers out and experimented with a variety of formats leading to uh, its use at the Continental Cup, and that was kind of the uh, the end goal at the time. But uh, certainly Warren Hansen, being the visionary that he is, uh, certainly did see the possibilities uh, long-term of, of this, and, and certainly it was an easy sell to the World Curling Federation. They were on board with the Continental Cup at the beginning, and, and the idea kind of took off from there. So it, it does trace back to the Continental Cup, and, uh, and in terms of its introduction as an Olympic sport, uh, the push started in the mid-2000s as the World Curling Federation approached the IOC about this, noting that, that there were some obvious benefits. Obviously, you know, mixed-gender events are kind of unique at the Olympics, so that had some appeal. Uh, the fact that uh, you didn't have to build added facilities, you didn't need added officials, all of it fits into the existing Olympic schedule with one uh, curling facility, that had benefits, uh, and, and all of the above. Plus, you know, more TV inventory, and curling is beloved by broadcasters because it's not weather-dependent, so that's why it's always a hit at the Olympics, and, and well exposed as well. Although the International Olympic Committee was open to the idea of adding mixed doubles to the Olympics curling schedule, they required proof that there was enough interest in the international curling community to justify its addition as a medal event. Oh, but the IOC said, okay, well, listen, uh, we support the concept, but uh, we need some more proof that uh, you know countries are going to take part in this. And at that time, of course, there was no world championship, so that was the first step. Uh, it was introduced as a world championship in 2008, and then uh, just kept expanding from there. And finally, you know, the the formal push uh, began last year with the uh, the uh, the presentation to the IOC, and of course in June that's when it was formally approved uh, for the 2018 Winter Olympics in Pyeongchang, South Korea. So a, a lot of work done by the World Curling Federation with uh, a great deal of support from Curling Canada. Uh, we were on board with this from the beginning. Obviously, we came up with the current format. Uh, it's been it's been tweaked a few times since then, obviously, but. Uh, uh, yeah, it, it was great news, great for curling, and, uh, and now Canada, Curling Canada has some work to make sure our teams are, are in the Olympics, uh, in the mixed doubles, and, and competitive. I then asked Mr. Cameron if Curling Canada was close to announcing what the qualifying process would be to select Canada's representatives for the mixed doubles at the Olympics in South Korea. That's a work in progress. Yeah, we hope to have something announced uh, later this year in terms of how teams will compete. There would be some form of a trials, a winner winning the trials going on at the Olympics. Uh, the timing and qualifying standards uh, are still uh, 
being decided as we speak. But suffice to say, uh, you know, in talking with uh, many of the top players, there's a great deal of interest. Uh, uh, the players want to compete in this, uh, and they want a chance. And we're talking our top players, and that's been kind of a challenge up until now mainly due to scheduling. I, you know, every player who's played the mixed doubles format, particularly at the Continental Cup, loves it. But here's the issue. I mean, uh, when is there a break in, in the competitive schedule in Canada at the high-performance level? Everything is revolving around Grand Slams and Caspials and the playdowns leading to the Briar and the Scotties, and there's just not that many open weekends to play mixed doubles. There is a, a cash field, actually the first of its kind, a major uh, mixed doubles cash field taking place in Portage and in Manitoba in October between a men's and women's cash field that uh, a lot of top teams will play in. Jennifer Jones is going to be playing with Brent Lang in that event, for instance, and uh, I suspect there's going to be a lot of other big names participating. So, you know, there's early buy-in from our top players uh, in, in terms of how we'll determine who goes to South Korea, uh, work in progress, but uh, those top players will be involved. Now that mixed doubles has been added to the Olympics, I asked Mr. Cameron if Curling Canada would be creating additional mixed doubles events to provide Canadian curlers with more opportunities to get familiar with this format. Well, we certainly encourage it. We don't, we don't get involved in the uh, in the business of organizing cash fields. That's a world curling tour uh, thing done at the club level that we've always encouraged and supported. But in terms of the organizational standpoint, our mandate is is national championships, and we have held the Canadian Mixed Doubles Championship for the last three years, uh, and will continue to do so. There will be the Canadian Mixed Doubles Championship happening in Saskatoon, uh, I believe, last weekend in March is when it is. So. You know, we've already been doing that, and we've got mechanisms for teams to get into that, both through uh, winning their province as well as the Canadian team ranking system in order of merit. So we've already kind of gone down that road, but in uh, but in terms of actual organizing events that uh, that are outside of our championship uh, prior mandate, uh, that that's not something that we'd be doing any kind of soon. Mr. Cameron made it clear that the addition of mixed doubles would likely be the last addition to the Olympic curling schedule for the foreseeable future, with the addition of a four-person mixed competition not being very practical from a logistical standpoint. Yeah, that would be impossible. <laughs> You'd have to build another curling rink, plain and simple. So, uh, yeah, the mixed doubles uh, format uh, can be done in like three or four days uh, when you add the curling uh, traditional team round robin, uh, there's just no space in the schedule. And, and you know, the, the IOC is not about to add another curling rink into the mix. So, yeah, traditional team won't uh, be an Olympic sport anytime soon that I can see. Curling Canada provided a big boost to mixed doubles in Canada when they named former Canadian and world champion Jeff Stoughton as its mixed doubles programming director. Mr. Cameron believes that Mr. Stoughton is ideally suited for his new role. Well, I mean, uh, breaking news, Jeff Stoughton's a really good curler. Uh, so, you know, when when he's asking to, to be involved in some way, shape, or form, yeah, we're, we're going to bring him in and we're going to put him to work. And the fact that he was interested in the mixed doubles format, and uh, again, he played it at the Continental Cup, uh, that excited us a great deal. And I think it sends a, a pretty powerful message, not only to the curlers in Canada, but around the world, that we are taking this extremely seriously. So, you know, Jeff is going to be working with our director of high performance, Jerry Peckham, as well as our national mixed doubles coach, Jimmy Waite. And they are basically mapping out our route to South Korea and making sure that uh, we are in the best possible position to compete for a medal in South Korea. And, you know, he's got a vast database of, of knowledge. He knows the game inside and out, uh, obviously being very adaptable. So in terms of, you know, adjusting his thinking from, from, uh, from traditional team to mixed doubles, I don't foresee a huge problem just because he's got such a great analytical mind. 
Uh, and I think, yeah, it's, it's a huge resource for this country to have Jeff Stoughton involved and, and focused, uh, like the rest of us, on, on winning medals at the Olympics. With the recent announcement that the Tim Hortons Briar would be hosted in St. John's, Newfoundland in 2017, and with the first Grand Slam of the year having taken place just down the road in Paradise, From the Hack caught up with 2006 Olympic gold medalist and Newfoundland native Jamie Korap to discuss both the event and the announcement. The Grand Slam event in Paradise, Newfoundland was the first Grand Slam divided between Tier 1 and Tier 2. We asked Mr. Korab how curlers enjoyed the tiered system. I was a player, um, you know, having coming off a couple years off and our team not having a lot of points being a new team. Uh, it was great for uh, a team like us to get on arena ice because typically uh, James Grad must give it in the Brunswick. Typically the first time he plays on ice, uh, arena ice, is at the Briar every year. So for a team like us, it was amazing to get on that type of ice and experience it. Uh, for a lot of the other teams, uh, you know, points is a big thing. Um, you know, Cotter, you know, has been at the last two Briars. Uh, Marquine, who was at the Briar last year for Ontario, he was there. So there were some some really good teams in there that, unfortunately, you know, the top 15 men's teams in the world are, are that good. Uh, it's tough to get enough points to get in. So from a player's perspective, uh, it was awesome. And uh, I hope they do it again next year. I would say over half the field had never played in a slam before on the men's and women's side. So it was great from that aspect. Um, our, the players on the Terra 2 liked it. Uh, the only thing, um, the arena that they had was great. It was uh, for both arenas. It, for the Terra 1, you know, there was a lot of seats and uh, a lot of fans because they sold tickets there. But the only downfall of it for the Terra 2 people is, obviously, when people showed up, they want to see their Brad Gujus, their Jacobs, their Holman, their Jan Jones, the Muirheads. So everyone always went to the Terra One. So you know we never had a lot of fans, uh, which you know didn't bother most players. We just wanted to get on that ice. We also asked Mr. Korab if the Tier Two event achieved the goal of providing younger teams with experience against quality opposition while playing on arena ice. Well, I think actually the Tier Two event uh, did that. Um, you know, normally when you've got these Grand Slam events like the one in Truro and. Uh, the one in Toronto and the rest of the places where they're having them. Uh, you know, one thing that the Slam has done over the last 10 to 15 years is the good teams got even better. Um, you know, if you look at, you know, years back, there were some teams that won the Briar that uh, didn't necessarily do well on tour, um, or you, even at the, the first few years of the Grand Slam 15, 20 years ago, you had people winning Grand Slam events that weren't household names had never been to a Briar. Uh, you look at it now, and, you know, the teams that are that good, like your Gujus, Jacobs, McEwens, um, they're going to beat these other teams, say, that were in some of the teams that were in Chair 2 or your other aspiring teams. They're probably going to beat them 49 times out of 50, whereas years ago uh, it was a little more on an even playing field. So, if anything, the Grand Slam has made the good teams better because they're always on arena ice. They're always playing the top teams. And you've got to get better. You know, to get better, you have to play better. So what this Tier 2, in my opinion, has done, these you know, Tier 2 teams in that don't get on the site, and they get to experience it. Now, no, they're not playing against uh, the, t- the top, say, 15 teams in the world, but, um, you know, they are playing against the Cotter and the Keens, and there was a, a couple teams from Scotland. It was their Brewster. I mean, you know, he, you know, Olympic bronze medalist. Korab went on to say that there were several opportunities throughout the year for younger teams to play top-tier talent in non-Grand Slam events. The Grand Slam events, uh, are for the top teams, uh, but you've got probably, I'd have to add it up, but between 30 and 40 spiels throughout the season. They're not Grand Slam events, but the World Coming Tour events. For argument's sake, this weekend, um, you know, Brad won, um, and uh, he was in Cornwall. So you had teams there, uh, John Michelle Menard, who doesn't play a ton, brought a 2006 for our champion, teams like that are there, and there were some younger teams there, teams that I'd never heard of uh, playing in this event. So 
there are events that uh, teams can go to. It was during the Grand Slam event in Paradise, Newfoundland, that word got out regarding curling Canada's decision to host the 2017 Briar in St. John's. Uh, it's just amazing here. I found out on the weekend and I tweeted it, Facebooked it right away, and it got shared and liked about 500 times. So everyone I've talked to, curlers, fans, uh, even a lot of the Tier 1 and Tier 2 curlers, uh, at the Grand Slam event, uh, when we talked about it, you know, everyone loves coming to Newfoundland. Most people, even non-curlers right across Canada, you talked about Newfoundland, and most people say, you know, they've always wanted to come and needed an excuse. So, uh, you know, for anyone listening, if you ever had need an excuse to come to Newfoundland, I mean, the Briar is going to be it. We've got a, a stadium that's probably only around 15 years old. It's an amazing facility. The convention center, which there's a catwalk right across the street from the arena, uh, that's where the briar patch is going to be. That's actually under renovations right now to make it bigger. And from the arena to George Street, which is probably one of the most famous streets in Canada, um, that's a stone throw away from probably about 10 hotels and the arena. So it's all going to be centered downtown. Mr. Korab went on to remind us that St. John's had successfully hosted the Scottish Tournament of Hearts in 2005. It was very well attended. Uh, it went over amazingly. It was actually the mascot, Scotty's Little Softy, at that Scotty's. Uh, some hoping to be playing in this briar and not the mascot. We then discussed whether players would like the briar to be hosted in smaller communities more often. Uh, yes, as a player, I mean, sure, but love to, you know, being able to play in front of, uh, you know, your hometown fans would be great as any player. So from a player's perspective, sure, but, you know, the big thing with curling is, you know, with curling Canada, it is a business. And with the exception of the Olympic trials, which is only every four years, the briar is probably their biggest moneymaker. It would be great to go in a smaller place, but I think at the end of the day, uh, it comes down to dollars and cents. Over the last several months, there have been several reports coming out of Nova Scotia in particular in reference to how ice conditions during playdowns last year may have contributed to the province's relegation at the Briar. Mr. Korab indicated that the only real way to get used to arena ice is to play in events during the year that have arena quality ice. I don't see any correlation in the quality of the ice, say, at the provincials in them not being ready for the Briar. You get ready for Briar ice by going out and playing in events. I know there's not a lot on the Grand Slam, but there's a lot of spiels you go to. I know Cornwall spiel, typically, that's shorty. That ice is very quick and very swingy. Uh, so there is a lot of tour events out there, and some of them are arena events that you can go and play in, and, and that's where you get your experience and get used to playing on arena ice. However, Mr. Korab did indicate that ice conditions can definitely have an impact on top-tier teams participating in provincial playdowns. Now, here in Newfoundland, um, they kind of rotated around at different clubs that, you know, to help grow the sport. And unfortunately, some of the clubs they go to uh, say for a team like Brad, the ice isn't isn't you know Grand Slam ice, and I'm not saying you know some people could be listening and say, oh well, they're spoiled and whatnot, because I've heard all those before said to me. But you know we're not looking for perfect Grand Slam ice when we go to provincials. You're just looking for ice that's consistent, where with a little bit of curl and it's a decent speed. From the hack, asked Mr. Korab about an incident that happened at the end of the women's final at the Tour Challenge Grand Slam when the Tiranzoni team from Switzerland were exuberant following a miss by Rachel Holman, which handed the game to the Swiss team. A reaction which got a lot of attention on social media. As soon as I seen it, uh, the first thing I said to my wife was like, "That's awesome." I was like, "I I really like Rachel, and she's uh, she's an amazing curler. Her whole team, um, and the reason why she's so good is the highs aren't too high and the lows aren't too low, but." If Rachel made or missed that shot, her reaction is probably the same. Um, whereas Tetrazzoni, who doesn't have a lot of wins under her belt, um, gets out there and wins. Unfortunately, it was on a loss, yes. Uh, but to see that excitement, I think curling needs more of that. Uh, there was no, there was nothing malicious in it. They were genuinely that happy that they won. Um, so if someone thinks it's sour grapes or that they're celebrating on a loss, then to me, that person's the, 
that person's never played really, really competitive sports because if you had um, and you're that excited when you win, I think we need more of that. When the top teams win now, they're so used to winning. Um, winning the Briar final or winning the Olympic trials or Olympic gold medal, that's different. But, you know, if you take a Guju or a McEwen or these guys now when they win a Grand Slam event, they'll give a high five or something like that, but they don't jump up and down. They don't hug each other. I mean, if you want to see a Briar celebration, Go back and look at John Michelle Menard, and uh, when they won the Briar in 2006, and uh, uh, Robert, she jumped up and down. He must have got about 12 feet vertical there. It was just really cool to see. Now, should they have probably shaken hands first before they went crazy celebrating? Maybe. Just to see that excitement, I think curling definitely needs more of it. With the curling season now in full gear, from the hack connected with Olympic silver medalist and member of the TSN curling team, Cheryl Bernard, to talk about the women's tour. By most standards, the Rachel Holman team had a good year last year, finishing third on both the World Curling Tour money list and Order of Merit, but only won one event during the year. We asked Ms. Bernard what she thought may have been the main cause of Team Holman's indifferent year. I think it was a combination of uh, they lost their longtime coach Earl, and then they also um, got a new player in Joanne Courtney. And you know, you like to think that's going to be an easy transition, but two things, uh, you know, one thing, one change is a lot to deal with, but two. You know, it can be a lot for a team, and I think you just saw them last year trying to find their way um, as the four of them as a new team. And so I, I think you're going to see, well, we've already seen already this year, uh, the Holman team we're used to. And so I think last year was just a, year, a learning year for them. According to Ms. Bernard, no matter how good a new player might be, group dynamics often have to be worked out before a team hits full stride. Yeah, you know, and I think that's the part I find so fascinating because it's, it's one of those things you have to get used to a new player, and the player has to get used to the team. And so it's kind of learning when to speak up, when to, you know, to sit back a little bit. It's learning what you can contribute to get the best out of the other players on your team. Um, it's learning what that team needs to do for the new player. You know, when ha they didn't have a coach, and the coach is the person, I think, that facilitates those conversations after the, the game. You know, the coach will sit down and kind of prod the team to talk about why did this happen and what did you do this for and how did you feel out there? And so, you know, with Holman having two changes, I think that was kind of what they had to work through last year to get used to each other and comfortable. This year, Chelsea Carey will be skipping her third team in three years. We asked Ms. Bernard if she thought that taking over the team formerly skipped by Heather Nedwin was a good fit for Carey. Yeah, I mean, you just never know. It's, it is chemistry is one of those unknowns and it's tough to figure out and you know, I think she she came to Alberta uh, to to work with the team from Edmonton, and I think you know Laura Crocker and those guys, great players. Obviously, the fit wasn't as good as they liked, and fair enough, move on to a new team. And and I think this might be a real good fit for her. Um, you know, Amy's got years of experience, and uh, I think that'll be really good for Chelsea. And so hopefully, she settles in with that team, and and they start to build on that because the biggest thing I think with teams is you need to get some years behind you. You need to get that, um, you know, you need to get some wins together and you need to get some losses together. And, and you can only do that by playing together for a few years. Replacing Carrie on her former team is two-time World Junior Champion Kelsey Rock. We asked Ms. Bernard if she thought that Rock's experience at the World Junior level was enough to allow her and her team to be competitive from the outset on this year's Women's Tour. Uh, you know, I mean, her uh, her junior experience and her two world championships under her belt as a junior, I don't know that you can ask for much more than that. There's many uh, senior skips out there that don't have that, uh, you know, on their resume. So I, I don't think uh, there's going to be any issue with her settling into women's. And, and I think it was a great move 
for her to join a younger team, but one with some experience in the ladies' field. Um, and we've already seen, you know, I looked at some of their numbers and, and some of their statistics for a couple of the slams, seen some great numbers from them. I think they're still feeling each other out and trying to, you know, get used to what they each need to do and how to ice new players. That's always a trick with a new team. So, yeah, but I think you're going to see some good stuff, and uh, they're going to give, you know, everybody in Alberta a definite run for that provincial spot. We could not discuss women's curling in Canada without touching on a Jennifer Jones team. We asked Miss Bernard if she felt like the Jones team is now firmly in place as one of the greatest women's curling teams of all time. Oh, absolutely. I don't even know if there's a discussion anymore, really. Um, you know, I, I was most impressed with that team. I, I mean, the gold medal was amazing, but what I was most impressed with was them coming off an incredibly stressful year after the Olympics and all the demands and their performance last year and to get a silver medal um, you know people just don't understand how hard that is and and the expectations that are put on them and I'm that's what impresses me most with that team so I don't think you can argue much about one of the greatest teams. Swiss teams have won three of the past four women's world championships and there are currently three Swiss teams in the top 10 on the World Curling Tour Order of Merit. We asked Ms. Bernard if the Swiss were catching up to Canada or if this is simply an anomaly of a few solid players from the same country coming up through the ranks at the same time. Well, I, I think it's both. I think they've got some really good players coming up and um, I think that's made a big difference. I think they've got some incredible coaching out there that um, you know, is making a huge difference to these teams. and. And they're starting to play against each other, and they're making each other better uh, in that country. So that's, I think, what you're seeing. And, and once you start to get that depth, then you can build on it, and you're going to see a lot of strong teams, I think, come out of there in the future. By any account, even your head of Scotland has had a great career so far. But there seems to be an underlying feeling from many in the curling community that the Muirhead team still hasn't completely gelled and completely met the high expectations for the team after their stellar junior career. Ms. Bernard thinks it's just a matter of time. Yeah, I mean, I think they've done incredible things so far. Um, I tend to agree with you a bit. I think we all kind of look at her and expect more, but she is just 25. And, and you know, sometimes that just takes a little bit of time to get settled in to the winning and learning how to win and learning from losses. And, and I think once that starts to happen at this young age, she's got so many years ahead of her that I think you will see some incredible stuff from her, and we already have. So... Uh, you know, I j just might take a little longer for her. It might be finding the right player. She she had to replace her lead this year, so that, again, is an adjustment. So we'll see. You know, I think we're going to see great things from her. It just might be a little, uh, little more in the future. With the recent announcement that mixed doubles is now an Olympic medal event, Ms. Bernard was asked if she thought a curler could play both the team and mixed events at the Games and be successful. It, you know, it, it's going to be a tough, that's a tough question to answer because I'm a little concerned uh, that they won't be able to, and mostly because of the schedules of the tour um, and, and everything that they're playing in and getting points for the Olympics. It makes it tough to really do both. But that being said, they may look at doing it, uh, putting you know, a mixed doubles team in last minute and giving it a shot that way, which I think is going to be great. But I also think what it does, which is I think the better part about the mixed doubles, is it may open the doors for some players that don't play on the tour that maybe don't have the time for that kind of a commitment, but they want to have a, a shot at an Olympic possibility. So you never know. There may be some mixed doubles teams that say, this is my chance and I'm going to work really hard at mixed doubles. And so we could see a different group of curlers, you know, in that event. 
That's it for this week's From the Hack. Join us next week for interviews with current Canadian men's champion John Morris, two-time world junior champion Kelsey Rock, and Armin Harder, CEO of Europe's Curling Champions Tour. Before I let you go, I'd ask you that you share this episode with all of the curling fans you know, and feel free to leave us a comment with feedback or ideas on players, events, and other curling issues you'd like to see discussed. I'm Frank Rock, and this was From the Hack.